was it was a brilliant fight though. It was one way than the other, one way than the other. I, I think Tommy boxed the head off him at times, um, and won most of ninety percent of the rounds. But it was it was still competitive at times also. Yeah, and Jake Paul, to be fair, was better than I thought he would be. He was better than I thought he'd be as well, to be fair. It looks like Drake lost his money. Yeah, he's never any good with those bets. 335 bags down the toilet. And Drakey! It's the top double bubble. Here, let me tell you a secret. I lost mine too, because I bet from the knockout. We're two losers. Double bubble for Tommy though, maybe he'll buy you a, buy you a nice present out of that. Oh, maybe he'll buy me a smoothie or a protein shake <laughs> with his winnings. <laughs> but there's one judge went against it, I mean, I, I didn't really see I, that I, myself. I don't know, you know, I'm not a judge myself, so I can't, I can't uh, criticise or say anything about him. They do a fantastic job, and I'm sure the guy saw it the way he saw it, and that was it. But he'll be headlining now forever. Um, I'd like to see him have a rematch with Jake Paul or fight Logan, his brother. Hey, and welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where we finally saw the YouTuber versus the boxer. And unfortunately, we didn't get the uh, surprise we needed to refocus the minds in the sport. And we're kind of back where we started, really, aren't we? Um, good to be back. You know, it's been a while. Just realized I haven't even talked about Lee Wood versus Mick Conlon, but that can come later in another episode. I think today is just about just some thoughts and feelings on this whole just the whole YouTube phenomenon because we've had two cards really haven't we and we'll do them in reverse order so we'll do Jake Paul and Tommy Fury first and then Mayweather versus ah is it Adam Chalmers I can't even remember the guy's name so I only watched two fights on the card because I figured the rest of it was just a waste of time so I saw Badu Jack versus Ilunga Makabu Makabu looked about 57 years old Badu Jack looked about 42. I'm happy that Badu Jack won because I think he's just, he's a nice guy. I, I first met him about just under 11 years ago. And I was training at a, a boxing gym in Sweden called Hugorden, where he was from. And he'd just come back. Don't know who he'd come to visit. He'd probably come to visit family. And he just popped into Hugorden on a weekend for a workout. And at the time, like, he's not who he he went on to become. Like, Badu Jack went on to become somebody after this. But he had been an Olympian. And so he was one of the respected names. Like, his generation, it was him, Kennedy Katende, and Babakar Kamara, all guys who I got to meet and know very well through my time in Sweden. So Badu Jack's a guy whose success I always feel is deserved because he dirt-tracked it. He was Dan Aziz before Dan Aziz in terms of the path he trod. You think, you leave Sweden, you go to Las Vegas, you initially pal up with Shannon Briggs, then it was Ali Bashir, and then you kind of get in with the Mayweathers, and then your career starts to take off. So at 39, he's a three-weight world champion. He beats Ilunga Makabu, stops him in the last round. I'm not going to say he looked comfortable, but he looked more comfortable than he should have for a man of his age. And I guess it helps when you're fighting someone who might be three years older than Luis Ortiz. But here's the thing I come back to every time. Nobody at Sky said, let's just pay Macabre and get these belts. And paradoxically, that may have worked in their favor now. Because whoever fights Badu Jack is a bigger fight. Billum Smith versus Badu Jack is a huge fight for the summer. If Badu Jack wants to come to the UK, right? but it's just going to cost a fair bit more to get him over than it would have done to get Makabu over. So the question is, will Jack coming over mean that it's a stadium fight versus an arena fight? I don't know. But if I'm a cruiserweight on Sky, I'm looking at them going, when are you guys going to invest some money in elevating this division? Because you've got control over it and you're not behaving like you've got control over it. And here's where you got to give Eddie credit. If Eddie had as many cruiserweights as Sky have, he would have more belts circulating amongst them right now. And, you know, that's on God. Eddie would have had this sorted by now. But we'll see. So, but Jack doesn't even roll back the hands of time, doesn't do anything. 
just literally sticks to good fundamental boxing as a 39-year-old and just grinds down Lunga Makabu, who who looks a shadow of the man that beat Tabiso Machun, looks a shadow of the guy that put Tony Bellew down. And uh, you could tell he's he's aged quickly in the intervening years. So we get that as a as a as an appetizer, and it's a good it was a good fight. It, it lifted the spirits for what was to come. You know, it it, it wasn't two hairdressers swinging at it in headguards as we saw twenty four hours before. So so we get the fight. Fury. Um, there'd been the whole drama earlier in the day around. Was it scripted? Was it not scripted? I thought that was absolutely ridiculous. Fair play to the person who pulled that together and said, you know, I'm just going to leak this just for fun. If that was Derek Cooper, then cool. I think that's absolutely brilliant. But you can't script boxing like that. (laughs) You really, you really can't because there's so many variables you'd have to get right. It's not the WWE, unfortunately. And boxing fans know what to look for. They'll know if something's off immediately. So we, we managed to get past that, even just on the entrance music, which was off. And massive, massive respect to both men for I mean for both men for showing up. Tommy comes out, Jake delays it. I mean you're seeing Jake, you know, I mean when he's meant to be walking out, still getting his what do they call those things? It's not moccasin, um Poncho. That's what we'll call it. Getting his that kind of in ring poncho sorted. But we'll talk about the production values later, but it doesn't feel like a big night. It doesn't feel like a big fight night. It feels just like two kids at lunchtime about to sort out a long-standing problem or after school in the wreck. So what happens in the fight? What happens in the fight? You get Jake Paul, who's a novice. And if you put Jake Paul right now in the ABAs, he doesn't get out of the Northwest region. Fact. 81, 86, 92, whatever, whatever weight you want to put him in, Jake doesn't get out the Northwest region in the ABAs today. In sparring sessions, he'd get, he'd get stood on his head by George Crotty, he'd get stood on his head by Ben Reese, he'd get stood on his head by all of these guys, Callum Beardow. All of these sorts of guys would stand him on his head. Because he's a novice. You can't say he's not any good, he's a novice. He's 23 years old, can he still learn? Maybe. But he's a novice, and if he's a novice, I don't know what you call Jake Paul. Jake Paul's a super novice, but here's what Jake Paul is. Game as anything. You know, a lot of times you hear John Fury talk about being game and being fighting men and being bred for this. Jake Paul's a millionaire. Many times over. Has a lifestyle that we all dream of more money than he could probably spend, more opportunity to make more money than he'll ever realize. And that man said, I want to box people. I want to box people who have been professional fighters in their life. I want to take them on. Here's why that's difficult. People think it's a size and a strength thing, and it's not. It's an experience and a geometry thing. Whether you're Anderson Silva... Whether you're... Who was the other guy for? Do you fight Ben Askren? Uh, Tyrone Woodley? All of these people he fought. I don't know if you... All of these people he fought. Unfortunately, he didn't fight Chavez Jr., which would have been good for him, actually. But all of these guys, whatever you say about their boxing skills, what they have is fight sense, and they understand distance and positioning, and they're conditioned to absorb punishment. Like, it's not... It's not new to them. Physically, psychologically, they're fighters. Whether they can box is almost immaterial. They could do the hard bit, which is walk from a changing room to a combat arena and get busy. And facing them is Jake Paul, a millionaire who said, I want to be an elite boxer and I'll do whatever it takes. That man is game as anything. He hasn't got the family lineage that Tommy Fury has. He hasn't had a life fully in the sport, immersed in it, around it, being in the ring, sparring the way Tommy has. He hasn't had any of that, and still he decides to take the step forward. Um, I see it so many times when people tweet, at least the opponent had a go. 
and they tweet, any man who steps between these ropes deserves the utmost respect. But they never give that respect to Tommy Fury. And you have to. Whether you rate him or not, whether you think he's good for boxing or not, is irrelevant. If the test is respect every man who steps through the ropes, he qualifies. But he qualifies more because he doesn't need to do it. He's doing it from a sense of passion. Everyone else is fighting to change their life. He's not. And to a lesser extent, neither is Tommy. Tommy's got the Love Island money. Uh, Molly May's doing a lot of good money with Pretty Little Thing. You know, all those family connections come in handy sometimes, don't they? When you need all these sort of things to happen for you. So you've got these two guys in the ring, one, one steeped in boxing, one not. And you can see the difference from round one. It's taking Jake Paul too long to get his distance. He's not calibrating and recalibrating. And so someone said to me, what's the difference between someone who can box and someone who can't? It's simply this. Can you move from position to punching to position again consistently? Do you know what you're doing? Are you adaptable enough to stick to that? Because both men struggled with that. Unlike the day before, where Mayweather didn't struggle with that because he's mastered that. And you could see in that fight, Jake couldn't get his positioning. He couldn't get his distance right. So he couldn't do what he wanted to do, which was hit Jake with long looping shots. He wanted to come over that jab. He wanted to catch him with a left hook when Jake was slipping. These are all the things he's probably practiced. He didn't know where his feet needed to be to do that, which was his issue. And it also doesn't help that Tommy Fury seems to have inordinately long arms. He seems to be able to jab from positions where you're like, he doesn't look tall enough to do that. But he did that, and kudos to him. He boxed like a novice should, stuck to what he knew, kept it really, really basic, focused more on movement. Because if you see your opponent struggles with positioning himself, movement's going to be kryptonite for him. And so that was the fight when they had energy. I think from round five on was now when they started to slow down. It became a test of heart, bottle, character, metal. And both men showed it. I don't think any round was a particularly one-sided round. I thought they were all nip and tuck rounds, which is what happens when you get two raw-ish novices doing an eight-rounder. It's going to be nip and tuck. First half of the fight, you're trying to conserve energy. Second half of the fight, you realize even with conserving energy, this is a hard old slog. And so that's what you saw in that fight. That's not a bad thing necessarily. I'm not going to say it's an amazing thing, but it's not a bad thing. It was compelling without being entertaining. That's how I would describe it. It was compelling without being entertaining. Because for a lot of people, you know, the future of boxing was riding on the outcome of this fight. I don't think that should ever be the case, but hey, so be it. And then you had the referee. And I've seen the ref get criticized, but I like referees who enforce the rules and do it consistently. So the ref took a point off Jake for hitting behind the head, which you should do. And that calmed Jake down and made Jake a bit more disciplined in how he was throwing his hands. I don't know why more referees don't do that because a lot of people get hit behind the back of the head, around the side of the head in a way that's not safe and must contribute to all that CTE stuff we see later on. And then he did Tommy Fury for holding. How many times have you wanted a ref to do that and go, look, get him to stop holding? How many Vlad fights have you watched and you're like, this ref is weak? This ref should have stopped this a long time ago. How many of them have you seen? Now we do have a ref do it and Twitter went crazy. Like professional boxers moaning about the referee. The upside was it balanced, balanced each other. Everything balances itself out of the long run. But the highlight, let's be honest, the highlight of that. And the thing that should keep Tommy Fury's ego in check going forward. Jake Paul dropped him with a jab. Jake Paul put Tommy Fury down with a jab. There was no trip like in the Makabu fight. You can debate the knockdown. There was no trip. There was no slip. He put him down. And Jake watched that back going, why didn't I hit him with my proper punches? I could have had him out of there. And that might be what burns in his mind during the rematch, but it's never that simple. 
but he put him down, couldn't quite finish it. And so we get to the get to the judges' scorecards. Um so right, feeling tired now. So result. Uh one guy had it to one guy had it one one guy had a seventy seven seventy four to Jake Paul. I can't remember the scores off the top of my head. And then two had it seventy six seventy three to to Tommy Fury. I'd like to see the scar I'd like to see the cards to see if these were consensus rounds or if there were um divisions between the judges. So Tommy Fury wins on a split decision. I think, you know, his emotional response was appropriate in his interview. Fair play. Didn't really clown anyone, didn't do anything. I thought that was the right thing to do. You know, you keep money in the franchise and I like I like people who do that, who have a good business head even when the pressure's on. Same thing with Jake Paul, magnanimous. And yeah, he said the better man won on the night and he accepted the loss and that's all you can do. Now, if he was sick and if he broke his hand and stuff, that stuff is true. And boxers always tell you we come into the ring broken, right? And so you're allowed to share that information. I had no issue with what he did. Um, do I think the scorecards were fair? No. But but see, the thing is, the deductions mess it up because I think you can have it 5-3, Tommy. If you're being generous, you can have it 6-2, six, six, kind of get that. But 5-3 would seem to be where it lands, right? But the worrying thing is that we tweak around one way, it's 6-2. You tweak it the other way, it's 4-4. Four, four. And then you're factoring in point deductions and knockdowns. But in terms of just like pure rounds, I could see that logically. Like a, It felt like a 5-3 fight where... Tommy wasn't necessarily behind, but he never pulled away. And that's credit to Jake Paul. Um, then, obviously, you go to the studio, and if you had the BT feed on, credit where credit's due, for, by the way, to to Denzel Bentley. Um, like, I just feel incredible pride watching that kid sat there, dressed to the nines, and able to hold his, hold his own against Frotch and... Um, Anthony Crawler and everyone else. And he shows that, and I've been saying this for how many years now, guys? He's the guy you put money into. If you're on BT Sport, that's your money guy. And what I mean by that is, in the sense of like a Natasha Jonas, Jonas never may never do 3 million pay-per-view buys because she's not a heavyweight, right? And that's the only reason, by the way. But look at Natasha Jonas. She fights. She commentates. She can host when needed. She can do the great video content. She, she does everything that's needed to be the face of a franchise. And I think Denzel's the same way. And I, I'm going to keep pressing BT Sport to make more of Denzel because they can do a lot more with Denzel and they don't do it. And that's what harms boxing, which I'll come on to later on. But just that's what I wanted to say about that. Uh, Carl Froch, his usual um, understated self, was seeing it as a victory for real boxing and this and the third and that Jay Paul got obliterated. He can't call himself a boxer and all this sort of stuff. Oh man, give it a rest. Just give it a rest. And here's why. Here's the wider issue. Licensed professional boxers, we'll just focus on Britain for now cannot understand how people like KSI, the Paul brothers, that Adam Chalmers guy, whatever his name is, the one that fought Mayweather, Salt Pappy, uh, Aggie the Grift, who have, Aggie the Gift, sorry, not the Grift, Aggie the Gift, uh, who else? Uh, Kareem, the guy that Sean Earls was training, all these guys, Professional licensed boxers cannot understand how these guys are getting paid more than they are. And so there's bitterness towards them because they're making money. They've got a higher profile. They're fighting on nicer events, fighting on better events, getting more traction. Meanwhile, kids are fighting in Coventry Leisure Centre, um, Newport International, I don't know, Aquatic Centre. The Victoria Warehouse in Manchester. Marcus Garvey Centre in Nottingham. Wherever these people are fighting, in the middle of nowhere. 
And they're looking at guys like Salt Pappy who's getting a profile they don't have and they're jealous and they're bitter. And it confuses me. Because the professional boxer and the YouTuber have 24 hours in a day. The YouTuber has to train for his fight. The pro boxer has to train for his fight. The training load is scaled to the level of opponent you're going to face. The difference is that YouTubers training and making content based on the training and based on their life. They are prepared to let the audience in. And through doing that, they unlock new audiences. There's a boxer I know who's a good dog breeder. In fact, there are about three boxers I know who are good dog breeders. Knowledgeable about dogs. Like, like Jedi level knowledge about dogs. You wouldn't know it from their social media. You wouldn't know it from talking to them. You wouldn't know it from anything you've ever seen of them. But they are. And imagine they were doing videos on dogs and how you breed dogs, how you train dogs, how you get dogs to be obedient, how you train dogs to be guard dogs versus dogs to be working dogs. And they can they can talk about this for hours, by the way. They don't put videos up about that. One kid said to me, I don't want to give my opponent an edge. He might talk about that in a press conference. And you're like, so what? But compare boxing videos with dog videos in terms of who gets the most views. You could cultivate... Two, three hundred thousand followers on social media being the dog guy. And you point those guys to buying tickets for your fight. Even if you only get 200 people buying tickets, like one in a thousand. You're probably in the one percent of boxers. I know boxers who are interested in fishing. I know boxers who have a passion for rugby. They go to all the England games. They'll knock around playing touch in the summer. You never see that though. Meanwhile, I see Jake Paul doing everything. I see Logan Paul doing everything. And the audiences love that. Because it's aspirational. I want that lifestyle. Hand on heart, nobody wants to be a boxer because there's no barrier to being a boxer. There's zero barrier to entry for boxing. The YouTubers showed you that. If you've got a fiver for a training session, you can go in and glove up. There are no barriers to being a boxer. If you have the courage, the desire and the commitment, there are no barriers. It's not like I want to cycle in the Tour de France and you've got to buy yourself a six grand bike. It's not like being a rower where you've got to live near a body of water. It's not like football or rugby where you need green spaces. There are no barriers to entry for boxing. There's a gym in every town. So why don't people walk into it? Because they don't want to do it. They love watching it. They love watching you do it. But they don't want to do it themselves. So what are they doing instead? Feeding their dogs, taking their dog for a walk, looking after their kids, shopping, watching football, watching rugby, watching the tennis, watching more sport, watching other stuff, watching stuff about Egypt, watching stuff about you know, the Crusades, whatever it is, they're out there doing other stuff and boxers are out there doing other stuff, but they never share that to say, look, I'm not just a boxer. We have other things in common. Because the more things you have in common with someone, the deeper the relationship is and the more likely they are to buy tickets. But most boxers are too lazy to do that. That's the reality of it. Most boxers are too lazy to do that. Most boxers want this. They want to get signed by someone. They want to be told who to, who to fight, when they're fighting, all of this stuff. They want to be told. I keep saying it. Boxers believe they should be treated like bosses, but they behave like workers. And then when they get paid like workers, they complain. If you don't fight, you don't get paid. Duh. So why not look at alternative income streams? Yeah, promote your dog business. If it's a dog grooming business, promote that. If you've got a cleaning business, promote whatever it is you're doing. Promote that. People don't do that. 
Imagine this, you're a professional boxer. I'm going to give you an example. You're a professional boxer who does PT stuff on the side. You go on TV, nothing on your shorts, nothing on your, whatever that, that sleeveless jacket is, nothing on your ring kit tells me that you do personal training sessions. Nothing. <laughs> Need I say more? So, most people in boxing who are upset about this are upset because they never made money. But they never made money because they were lazy and they looked for other people to solve their problem. The best boxers are the people who go, I'm my own solution. Who's a good example of this? Florian Marku. I still remember Florian Marku going to Steve Goodwin, put a show on. Yeah, at your call, I'll sell the tickets. Don't worry about things, Steve. Just you do you. Do you. Be Steve Goodwin. Get that show popping. Security, all of that. I'm going to sell these tickets. And he sold it out. I don't know how many tickets he sold. Well over 1,000, 1,200, 1,400. That was Florian Marku. And based on that, the, the TV promoters said, we need that guy. Because if he can bring 1,400 to a Goodwin show, what will he do on our shows? Two, 2,000? Sweet. That's what we need. We need Florian Marku. Yeah? And there are many ways you can be that guy. You can be Conor Ben. Yeah, you guys want to come and see me fight? That's Nigel Ben's kid. Yeah, 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 yeah. Before the drugs, by the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. You plunk, plonk your money down to go and see the dark. Because so, you know you're going to see Nigel in the ring. Same with Eubank Jr. There are many ways you can be a guy that can shift a truckload of tickets. Yeah? And you've got to find a way to do it. If you don't have that, that lineage and that name, that's cool. Find something. Develop an interest. Be an interesting person and you'll find that money comes your way. So everything I've heard so far has come from people who are not necessarily upset with Jake Paul, but they're upset with themselves and their careers. And they can do better. Because Jake does better. KSI does better. Logan Paul does better. How can you go from WWE? What was it? It was YouTube content, gaming, um, boxing, WWE. You launch an energy drink. They're thinking with no limitations on what they... They don't care what the public think as long as they buy stuff. Boxers are there like, oh, what are people going to think if I do this? What are people going to think if I do that? <sighs> God, they make that money. There are many people who give you advice on that. There are many people who will help you do that. But go and make that money. Be about more than just boxing. Because you'll find that you'll attract a whole different audience to, to what it is you do. So in summary, the response from the boxing world is predictably disappointing because I view Jake Paul fights the same way I view Soccer Aid. Or do you remember in the old days? I remember this when I was a kid. They had a game. And it was for the Football League Centenary. So it was like a Football League 11 versus a rest of the world 11. And in the Football League 11, you had like guys like Brian Robson. You might have had Kenny Sansom in there. Uh, Gary Lineker played. Uh, did Steve Hodge play? Maybe. Maybe Chris Waddle played. And then in the rest of the world side, you had Michelle Platini. You had Maradona in there. You had Josimar in there. You had a real who's who. Yeah. That was just fun. Like people showed out because like, oh, Maradona's here. And that was after the World Cup in 86. And they had him there. And the fans loved it. It didn't cannibalize Football League attendances. Soccer Aid doesn't cannibalize Football League attendances. What fan goes, I'm going to go to Soccer Aid instead of the Champions League final? Nobody does. And the point is, and the YouTubers have been saying this for a while, it can all coexist together. Some will make more money than others. Soccer Aid is a one-off game will make more money than any Accrington Stanley game. Soccer Aid is a one-off game may make more money than Aldrichham Town making the season. But when do Aldrichham Town go, yeah, that's Soccer Aid. <sighs> yeah, it's not real football. They don't. It has its place. It serves a purpose in the same way that these YouTubers serve a purpose. 
Your focus as a boxer is to make the most money you can. There's enough money to go around. It's just that the YouTubers aren't lazy. That's what I'll say. And I think people in boxing need to get their mind right because Matthew Macklin was moaning about this. So what I did is I looked at Matthew Macklin's first 16 fights and I said, I don't know any of these people. Obviously, I'm lying. I do know them, but they're not known to 90% of the people who are listening right now. Those guys that, that Matthew Macklin fought are unknown. So why am I paying 60 quid, 80 quid, 100 quid for a ticket to watch Matthew Macklin fight someone who's unknown? Bear in mind, this is the man who never fought Darren Barker. This is the man that never fought Martin Murray. This is the man that never fought Andy Lee. So it's not like Macklin gave fans value for money consistently because he never gave us the fights we wanted. So how many shitty fights do we have to watch in anyone's career? Why am I paying 100 quid to watch someone fight a Lithuanian guy who knows he's there to lose? You can't build that up. Like, it's not competitive. There's no jeopardy there. Yeah, boxers will tell you they have every right to do that. Oh, it's how I learn. It's like, no, motherfucker. Go and learn when there's no money at stake. Come here when you're a fully-fledged professional. That means you can fight anyone at any time. Let's get back to that in boxing and see how quickly the money goes up. Because here's the harsh reality. Yeah? You're getting the same money for a British title fight. Shouts out to Joe G, man. Man's a font of knowledge. You're getting the same money for a British title fight in 2023 as you were in 1993. Yeah. So what money are you losing out on boxers? If the market hasn't grown enough, what money are you losing out on? You're not. I know guys who will offer 12 and a half grand for a British title fight. So what money are YouTubers taking from you? You can have your 12 and a half grand fight. You can have your 30 grand fight. Jake Paul's not here for that. So you got guys who are 20 grand fighters moaning about guys who are 2 million pound fighters. Why? And the fans are no better. And this hurts me about boxing fans, actually, because... We follow one of the most spectacular sports on earth, the definition of an emotional roller coaster in a way that not many sports can deliver, apart from maybe sometimes football, which is on the World Cup final. However, why is it so toxic? I think I wrote a tweet, right? I was just larking around going, Jake Paul schooling Tommy Fury, and someone had to respond with clown emojis. Or when I said, yeah, I think this is the biggest robbery in boxing when Tommy Fury won. And people get so in their feelings about boxing. And I struggle to put a finger on why and what's the mechanism. And part of me goes, it's like at school. There were always about five kids across all the years at school who you knew generally could handle themselves. There's another 10 around them who had fake reputations because they, they had a fight. Now, it wasn't a hard fight. They, they knew, they picked their targets. Or as I've seen some people do, they saw the teacher coming down the corridor, then kicked off knowing that was going to get broken up in 20 seconds. I've seen all of that. But then you get everyone else and everyone else, like, they like to pile in and they like to be involved. They like to talk about stuff, but they don't have courage themselves. They like to live vicariously through other people. And they see these other people as like superheroes. So when those superheroes do stuff they wouldn't do, then they start crying and bitching and moaning. And it's very, for grown men, it's a very feminine way to be. And shouts out to the ladies who don't behave that way. I mean, this is not aimed at you. However, it's a very feminine way to be. To, to react emotionally to the words of another man. That's not what men do. It's as simple as that. Like guys are like, mate, if you really believe Tommy, Tommy Fury didn't deserve to win, I'm going to unfollow you. I'm going to unsubscribe. You can go. 
A year ago, I had a thousand fewer listeners a week than I do now. I probably lost people then and I gained people. I don't necessarily do this for the cloud. I, I just do it because this is the stuff I want to say. If it connects, it connects. If it doesn't connect, the numbers will crash and I'll stop and I'll go and do something else. It's possible. But we have an incredibly hostile set of fans who are happy Jake Paul lost. But I'm like, you're happy a guy lost, but he's going to make like 7 million quid. So what are you celebrating, actually? You're celebrating his, are you celebrating his defeat or his increase in wealth? I don't know. But either way, this guy's going home a winner. Because he's taken more risks in 20-something years than you've done in your whole life. And I'm not saying you have to take risks, but just understand that it sounds a bit hollow when you take shots of people who are out there doing stuff and living life. And sometimes this applies to me. I'm not above taking ownership for sometimes I'll get, I'll get like that. Where I disagree strongly with what someone does and I'll, I'll just be like, listen, that's nonsense, man. How dare you say that? But there's normally intellect wrapped into that. And I'm going to use the Floyd Mayweather example. So Mayweather fights on Saturday night. He fights Adam Chalmers um, on a horrific card. Horrific. Horrific. Floyd Mayweather comes to the United Kingdom. Now, I don't know how much pull everyone has in organizing this. But if Floyd Mayweather's coming to the United Kingdom and it's an exhibition... They could have put the feelers out to anybody. Anyone in London, yo, anyone in London with a following, do you fancy jumping in on this? We don't want to deal with the board. We don't want to deal with anything else. We just want to have something simple like an exhibition. Who's up for it? You would have found hundreds of people to do that. There were so many better ways to do it, but it looks like it was someone who wanted to make some quick money without really understanding how boxing works. I don't know. Don't quote me on that because it looked shambolic. I saw the situation they had where they had, they had the two women boxing with head guards on. They didn't look like they'd trained and it looked like that could have happened in a beefeater car park on a Friday night. That could have been the turnpike in Janssen on a Friday night. Right in the corner there where most people try and park their cars so that if the old bills show up, you know what I mean? You're not on the radar. But that could have happened there. That was terrible. It wasn't befitting of a man of Floyd Mayweather's legacy. But Floyd comes out. He fights Adam Chalmers guy. He clowns him around. It's easy work because this is Floyd Mayweather, one of the greatest to ever do it. He still has the faculties intact, still not getting hit, sitting on the ropes between, between, <laughs> between rounds like he was about to do <laughs> a top rope moonsault or something. I don't know. Or a seated senton. I don't know what these moves are anymore. And you've got guys like Joe Cordina criticizing Floyd Mayweather. And I was angered by that. Now, I could have written a longer eloquent tweet, but the real, the real point of it is Joe Cordina is nobody to be criticizing Floyd Mayweather. He never will be anybody to be criticizing Floyd Mayweather because Joe Cordina has done nothing in his career apart from fight some guy who was there to be knocked out. I'm not saying Joe Cordina is not talented. Joe Cordina is talented. Joe Cordina has done more for the United Kingdom in a sporting sense than I ever will. But Floyd Mayweather is the greatest boxer of all time. Floyd Mayweather is the reason boxing looks the way it does now. Good, bad, indifferent, doesn't matter. Floyd Mayweather is the reason why people want to protect the O. Floyd Mayweather is the reason why people want to merchandise their stuff to a degree. Floyd Mayweather is the reason why they people brand themselves now the money team, about billions, stamina for sale, system nine. All of these things came from Mayweather. Money Mayweather, the money team, TBE. Floyd moved boxing. That's what makes him, if not the greatest boxer of all time, then one of the greatest. He's easily the second greatest boxing figure after Muhammad Ali. In terms of moving, not just sport, but culture. 
Floyd moved masculinity in a different direction. There's a lot of stuff people do because Floyd started it. Well, I should say he popularized it because some of that stuff he may not have started, but he popularized it. Guys driving around in a color-coordinated, whatever it was, Bentley, Rolls-Royce. Who does that? So Joe Cordina needs to understand Floyd Mayweather built his own brand. And Floyd Mayweather has earned the right to exploit that brand for as long as he chooses. As long as he sees it as economically viable, why shouldn't he? When have we ever said to Mars, you sold enough Mars bars, mate? Come on, pack it in. When did we ever do that? Hey, Liverpool, man. You won too many league titles, man. You're going to have to pack it in. Um, Ford, you've sold too many cars. Stop. No one ever does that. Warren Buffett, you made so much money. Can you stop making money? We, we, we love that. So why should Mayweather stop? Why should he stop exploiting something he built? It may go the way of Blockbuster. And it may go the way of HMV. But until then, let the man make his money. There's no logical reason why he's not fighting professional boxers. He's not taking slots from boxers. He deliberately avoids working with boxers on his shows because he's like, this is different. It's an exhibition. He doesn't claim to still be in box. He's like, this is just an exhibition. And Cordina's there slaughtering him. And I'm like, but no one wants to see Joe Cordina. I mean, no one's, Joe's not, he's not doing pay-per-views. Not anytime soon, if ever. So, so when, when people say, oh, you've got no right to say it to Joe Cordina. Yes, I have, because he's got no right to take shots at Mayweather. Stuff like that irritates me. You're in the sport. You should know how hard it is to make a living. Why would you stop one of your fellow soldiers, your elder, an inspiration to you? Why would you stop him making a living? Feel the same about Roy Jones. If Roy Jones wants to do this, it upsets me, but let him do it. He built that name. Let him exploit it because we ain't going to feed him when he stops. And I just wish fans would be better about things. Let's call out the messed up stuff in the sport. The doping, for example. The lack of competitive fights is another example. Extortionate rates of pay-per-view. The fact that pay-per-view cards are weak. All of this stuff, let's all call out. But people don't stand on that. Boxing fans don't stand on those things. That's my issue with boxing fans. It's this. Floyd Mayweather maybe sold 3,500 tickets for his fight on Saturday. The rest will come from what I hear. And if people want to understand how these things get out into the public and get comped, it's simply this. AEG will have PR agencies and so forth and partners. They'll just fire tickets off to them and then they give them to their mates. It's really simple. Make sure you know people in that sphere and you'll get loads of free stuff. Guaranteed. I don't know enough, so I don't get that. But as I always say, I pay for my boxing tickets. Always have done. If I get freebies, I give them to the amateurs. Always have done. Let them fall in love with boxing. Let them get good seats for a change. Let them actually get to be around the people they hope to emulate. That's always been my belief. It always will be. But when you look at all of this, I'm just waffling now. Fans need to be better. And here's the point I'm going to make. Floyd sold three and a half thousand tickets. I guarantee if Conor Ben were to return to the O2, he will sell three or four times that. They're boxing fans in the arena, right? They're not YouTube fans. They're boxing fans. So all these boxing fans who claim outrage at Conor Ben for being a drugs cheat will still go and watch Conor Ben fight. That's why it's hard to respect boxing fans. Forget anything else. They don't have any backbone, no principles. They don't stand on anything. And because they don't stand on anything, they allow promoters like Eddie Hearn to run over them. This is feudalism. Think about this. This is feudalism. Eddie Hearn, a product of privilege. Conor Ben, a product of privilege. Chris Eubank Jr., a product of privilege. 
all decided to, despite two failed drugs tests, run this event and make us, the plebs, pay for it so they can enrich themselves and improve their lifestyle at our expense. That is feudalism. And boxing fans are feeding into that feudalism and that is what I don't respect. It's as simple as that. And hopefully that's an understanding now of why I have a low opinion of boxing fans. And until that changes, my opinion won't change. I don't actually want to draw a line under that because I don't want to get too deep into that. But I wanted to talk about the overall the overall event. Saudi Arabia needs to make a decision on what it wants to do with boxing. Boxing's magic is you can be watching at home, but you pick up the energy from the crowd. Yeah. So you want the crowd to be full of people like you who are passionate about boxing, who care about that fight and what that fight means. Because you feed off that energy. When you're in the arena, it's the same thing. That Saudi Arabia energy was like... You know when you watch women's football and it's all very nice and polite and people clap and it's quite nice because there are loads of kids there. It's quite youthful. It's nice, right? But that's not what you want on Derby Day. Derby Day, you want a bit of edge, tension. And that's what happens when a group of... Just a group, group of men get together. No... no I mean, no kids, no families, nothing. You know, you get stuck in like that. And that's kind of what you need sometimes for a boxing show. And I don't think Saudi Arabia has delivered that in any of the boxing events that's delivered. They haven't been able to provide that experience. So it's not great to watch. From a production perspective, this wasn't great. There was a lot of empty space. You, you heard the emptiness in the arena. This isn't what someone like Eddie Hearn would do. It would be tighter. If this is Eddie Hearn, it's tighter. And this just felt loose. It felt like, right, we're just going to throw these two people in the ring at some point, And then we're going to surround it with people like Deontay Wilder. We're just going to get famous people in because that's going to, I think, what's that even going to do? Like, oh, it's Mike Tyson. Yeah, he has a podcast. We see him regularly. It's Deontay Wilder. Yeah, we know. Where's Sugar Ray Leonard? Where's Tommy Hearns? Where's, Robert, where's Roberto Duran? Where are the people you're like, oh my God, they found him. Where's Eubank Sr.? So I, I've just felt it was poor. Um, when I'm seeing people at Radio Rahim on there, and I'm not going to knock him because he's put his years in, so fair play to him, but that's not elevating the product for me. That's just more of the same, more of the stuff we're trying to avoid. So I think Saudi Arabia's got to ask itself, like, what's the point of spending all that money if you can't knock it out of the park? And they can. They've got the money to create something incredible. Why don't they do that? They've got islands off their coast. They could build like a fire island like Dana White did and just have this whole thing that's just set up and you just say, right, this is, this is no longer Saudi jurisdiction here. You can drink party on this island. You can't do it on the mainland because obviously this is a holy site. We are the, we are the epicenter of the Islamic religion. We can't have that on the mainland, but you can have your island, have your events on there. Anything's possible, but no one's thinking out the box. This is lame, tired thing. Look, you, ha you had two essential YouTubers slash celebrities fighting. I understand Denzel being there because he's young and he's, you know, he's got his thumb to the, to the heartbeat of the culture. But what's Granddad Froch doing there? Don't know. You know. Crawler, he's getting on a bit. And then that Dempsey guy, no one wants to hear him. And there was a very clear example of the sort of schism between what BT normally delivered and what was needed on the night. Radio Rahim goes to Logan Paul. And Logan Paul knows that his job is to create more tension with the Furies because it might lead to Logan Paul versus Tyson Fury in a WWE ring in Saudi. Logan's on his business, right? Remember, the WWE is broadcast on BT Sport. So Logan's on his business calling out Tyson Fury, calling out Tommy, doing the right thing for the continuation of the story. And Richie Woodall starts moaning about all of that. And I'm like, no, Richie, what you're supposed to do is go, be good to see those two in a WWE ring. WWE is something we have on BT Sport. That is what you're supposed to do. But Richie's not built like that. 
And he nor should he be. He's 50-something years old. It's not his thing. That's why you don't have Richie on commentary. You have people on commentary who understand that and go, yeah. And they sell that storyline. So all of this stuff was a bit loose. It didn't feel right. It, it felt like they were trying to bolt on that kind of dead kind of video jockey kind of aesthetic kind of the basic everything that was tired and boring about boxing they brought to this they didn't challenge anything and you i'd rather they just brought the whole misfits thing over here and said right whoever did misfits you're going to come here and do this that would have made a lot more sense so i wasn't overly impressed with the production i feel there's a there's still a lot to do in terms of this youtube thing for it to really blow the public away but they know how to deliver compelling storylines. And what you never feel like, you never feel like these guys are overmatched. They're not fighting Lithuanian journeymen, who they'd probably beat anyway. And so that's what I'd say. I know I've talked for a long time about essentially one event, but I just wanted to say this. I'm not going to be against these YouTubers boxing because I don't see it as cannibalizing existing boxing. That has its own problems. Don't don't make Jake Paul the standard bearer of problems that we've had that predate Jake Paul. Lack of competitive fights. The fact that people want to wait and go, give you a good example. I tweeted something about, look, after what Dalton Smith did with Billy Allington, I don't think he's that far from Adam Azim. When are we going to talk about that fight? And people said, now let them fight further down the line. I'm like, no, I'm a boxing fan. I buy tickets. I want them to fight now. They shouldn't have a choice. It's simple. Like they, sh they shouldn't have a choice. Fight, fight each other. Whoever's the best, move on. That doesn't mean we're going to stop supporting the other guy, but I'm not waiting till I want to wait till they both have belts. Same with Lawrence and Richard. I don't give a monkeys if they both have belts or not. I want them to fight this year. If they don't fight this year, I'm not going. If boxing fans had that attitude... If boxing fans had the same attitude to their sport as football fans had when that Super League was announced, we wouldn't have a single problem in this sport. When those old football hooligan guys and Billy Brights and that, when those guys went down to Stamford Bridge and said, nope, you're not joining the Super League. When the, when the Red Army went up there at Manchester United and said, hell no. When all of these fans said, this is not happening on our watch, it mobilized the nation. What do boxing fans do? Yeah, I'll buy another ticket. I'll go to StubHub. I'll pay over the odds. Why? So I can tweet that I've got a ticket. I'm part of it. Okay. But until we have the same passion for our sport that those guys that fought the Super League did, our sport's going to keep dying and we'll never get control of it back. So the choice is yours as boxing fans. Who do you want to be? I know who I'd want to be. And on that note, I'm going to tap out and say have a great week i'll probably drop something else which fills in the gaps i've missed and maybe i'll explain why i've kind of been in the shadows for a bit but until then all the best and take care